Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're having a very special and unique class. I would like to just start by wishing you a very peaceful and joyful new year as you go into 2023. Wherever you are in the world, may it be peaceful and joyful. And one of the ways to actually accomplish that is through training the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation and all the other teachings on the path to enlightenment. So typically I will join on Sundays here and have a group learning program where each Sunday I'll be guiding you through various chapters of this book one by one and help guiding you in understanding the path to enlightenment. But today, since it's New Year's Day and we're going to be restarting our program on January 8th, I thought what I would do is just come together with you live as I normally do and allow those of you guys that are used to gathering here live to join together in a meditation where we'll actually do breathing mindfulness meditation together. This is the primary form of training that the Buddha taught and it's a great way to encourage, support, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. I didn't have anything prepared that I was planning to discuss after our meditation. As I was thinking about class today, I was thinking that perhaps this might be actually a good time to discuss things like goals because even though I don't have anything prepared that I was planning to discuss, there's a lot of people right now that are probably interested in creating goals for the new year and perhaps that would be a good way of discussing how do you do this without craving desire attachment and also without complacency and where do goals kind of fit in to our overall life practice. So if that's something that you guys would like to talk about, we'll be discussing that at least a bit after meditation. I'm going to open up to all questions that you guys have after meditation, but I'll just kind of start out after meditation talking a bit about goals and kind of giving you guys some guidance that could help you in this new year as you maybe start looking at areas of your life that you would like to set goals for. You can understand how to do that without craving desire attachment. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you've been joining regularly or this is your first time, welcome to all of you. And uh, I'll guide you guys in this breathing mindfulness meditation. And then afterwards, we can open up to any kind of discussion about anything that you guys would like to discuss. So if you'd like to go ahead and take a position for meditation, which typically is seated or lying or standing for an online class, even though there is walking meditation. If you're doing the seated position, you might be on the floor with a cushion under your rear. You might be in a chair. If you're in a chair, usually your feet are either flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. If you're on the floor and you've got a cushion under your rear, just lightly cross your legs, not too tight because you're not interested in hindering the circulation in your legs. The hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together 
and then he put that into his lap. But there's other options here as well because it's not about everybody putting the body in exactly the same position because this is actually impossible. It's not possible for everybody to do exactly the same position. So you could put your palms on your thighs, your knees, maybe your palms up. If you're in a chair with armrest, you might place the arms on the armrest of the chair. Essentially, the lower body, the hands and the arms should be completely relaxed with no muscles engaged whatsoever. The upper body, you would like that to be erect, not real rigid, but not slouched either, nice and erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation if you keep the upper body nice and erect. Then you would like to close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just working to establish the breath. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in and out. I'm going to start with some chanting just to ease us into meditation. And if you know these chants, you're welcome to join along. If not, then I'll be back with some more guidance after the chanting. Sakatoroka 
anuteropurisa dama sati sata tawa manusana poto pakwati You should just be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You'd like to establish a nice, steady, consistent, natural breath. Breathing in gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then an exhale experiencing the full exhale. Your breath isn't going to match up to the guidance that I'm providing, but wherever you get to the next inhale, wherever that is for you, take a nice gradual breath, breathing in through the nose. And then whenever you get to your exhale, Exhale gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. Once the breath is well established, start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose over the skin. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, Whenever you observe that the mind has moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to judge the thought, analyze it, observe it, label it, or try to figure out where it's even coming from. Whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in in out.
I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath. Anytime the mind moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
Welcome to everyone who has joined us since I opened and said hello. Welcome to all of you guys. Haven't seen some of you guys for a little while. Welcome back, Tony. See you there. Nice to see you. All right. So this is our New Year meditation. What a great way to enter into a new year of actually doing meditation. This is what the Buddha really prioritized in terms of all the meditations that he taught. Breathing mindfulness meditation was the top priority. There's really no other better way to spend your time than to actually be doing breathing mindfulness meditation because this is ultimately what's going to lead to your awakening. Of course, there's all those other steps as part of the Eightfold Path that one would need to learn and practice and be able to do that on a consistent ongoing basis. But meditation is one of the primary techniques and primary trainings that we use in order to awaken the mind to enlightenment. So I thought what I would discuss with you guys and share with you and 
of course, I'm going to open up to any questions that you guys have about anything that you'd like to discuss, but at least just kind of start off our discussion with talking about goals, because this is a time of year where a lot of people will create goals and it's helpful to have goals, but one might be curious, well, how do I create goals and not have craving, desire, attachment, and what are even the purpose of goals and things like this? So we can talk about goals around meditation, around the path to enlightenment, about finances, about your work, about your family life, and all these other things like this. Because if we didn't have any goals at all, if we had no objectives or no way of kind of setting out what it is that we would like to accomplish in the world, then the mind can be very indifferent. It can be very complacent and we can oftentimes become lethargic and and essentially lazy. But also if we kind of set goals and pursued goals with craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing and strong eagerness, chasing after the objects of our affection and even beating ourselves up when we don't accomplish our goals. This is not helpful for your life either. This is detrimental, but this is tend to be what we will do. Either we'll sit around and do nothing and feel really lazy and complacent and dull, lethargic, or we'll set certain objectives for ourselves, and then we'll pursue those out of craving, desire, attachment, and really running and chasing after them. But neither of these two aspects is actually the middle way and what's actually going to produce real benefits and real results in your life. What you would like to do is get to this middle way where you set goals, objectives, and interests, but you don't have craving, desire, attachment when you're doing that and when you're pursuing it. So if you didn't set any goals, there would be this complacency, you know, there would be this lack of motivation and enthusiasm. So it's important to set goals, whether it's about your meditation practice or about attending the group learning program or attending these classes in the Polycanon English study group, whether it's about your finances, your home life, your career, your family life, you know, whatever it is, you'll have certain needs to create goals in your life. And what I tend to do and what I have always done is I've set goals that are going to require me to do some work. If you set a goal that is like a quarter of a step away from where you are now, that's not necessarily going to be so motivating and it's not going to be really challenging. I tend to like to create challenging goals that are not necessarily a stretch, but are moving in the right direction. Let's just use something as simple as meditation. Let's just say you're not meditating at all right now. You have No meditation practice other than maybe coming to this class or listening to the replay and meditating with me and the other students on the the replay. So maybe what your goal is, is that, hey, I would like to establish a meditation practice for this year. And I would like to consistently meditate once a day for 15 minutes or for 30 minutes, whatever it is. And that might be your goal because right now maybe you're meditating zero, right? And you know that the teacher is recommending that you meditate two to three times a day for 30 minutes or more. But that's going to be challenging for you to just snap your fingers and turn that on right away. So maybe what you do is you set a goal that over the next one month, I would like to meditate consistently for once a day for 15 or 20 minutes a session. And now that means that you're going to be meditating seven times a week, right? Once a day for the week and for the month that each day you're meditating once. Now you decide to start that today, for example. 
Now, it's going to be very rare that someone can set a goal and just snap their fingers and actually do it. What will probably end up happening is you'll meditate three or four times this week, right? That's kind of what tends to happen. Even though you set this goal for seven, you're not going to be able to just come out of the gates and bada bing, bada boom, you're actually at seven for 15 minutes, like right on target. That's not the way that the mind functions. The mind is used to perhaps this complacency or this dullness or this lethargic condition. So in order to move it forward, you might set this goal of seven times in a week, you know, once a day for 15 or 20 minutes. But what you'll probably end up experiencing on the first week is three to four times is probably what you'll get. And what we tend to do in that situation is we tend to beat ourselves up and we tend to degrade ourselves and think negatively like, oh, I can't do this. I'm no good. I didn't get to the goal. Uh, I'm just going to give up. Right. And this is, tends to be what happens at this time of year is we set all these different goals. They're really far reaching. We don't really accomplish them the first week or two. And then we just give up because that negative self-talk takes over. But what you need to understand is that you're not going to be able to go from zero to 100 miles an hour in the blink of an eye. So understand that whatever your goal is, your goal isn't to be able to do that today or tomorrow. You're setting a goal that over the next one month, that within the next month, at some point, you would like to get to the point where you're meditating once a day for 15 or 20 minutes a day. And now you're going to take four weeks to build up to that. And you realize it's going to take that time to build up to it. So now maybe the first week you do three or four sessions. Okay, well, rather than beat yourself up about it, think positively. Well, I was doing zero sessions. Now I'm doing three or four. That's better. It's still not seven, which is what my goal is, but it's better than zero. So, hey, I'm making progress here. I'm moving in the right direction. So now the second week, okay, you bring that up to four or five sessions, right? Maybe even six. All right, that's the second week. All right, great. It's still not seven, but you know you're not going to come out of the gate, snap the fingers and do seven a week. You know that's going to take time to build up. So, hey, five to six is better than zero, right? Well, now say the third week rolls around and you only do two or three. Okay, well, you didn't do as good as you did the previous two weeks. There were some things that came up. There was some impermanence that happened. You weren't as able to stay as consistent. Well, still, two or three is better than zero, right? So now the fourth week, all right, build it back up to five or six. And maybe even after the fourth week, you still haven't hit your seven per week goal, right? Maybe on that fourth week, you're still only at five or six. Rather than give up and be negative and degrading, cut off all that negativity and be like, no, I'm not going to allow the mind to go there. I'm a work in progress. Maybe I set this goal for seven per week, once a day. I'm just not there yet. I haven't been able to pull it together. So I'm going to keep working on it. So maybe the fifth week, the sixth week, the seven week. Okay, now finally, you've gotten to seven sessions a week, right? And now maybe you go buy yourself a chocolate bar. And this is a chocolate bar that you would have eaten anyway, regardless, right? But you just do that as a little celebration to reward yourself. Or maybe there's something else that you would like, maybe a bag of potato chips or going to a movie or something like this. You give some kind of little reward to the mind, like, hey, you did a good job here. You made it to seven per week. And now do that over the next couple of months and you observe, yes, I've gotten to my goal. 
once a day for 15 or 20 minutes a day. Now it's time to set a new goal. Maybe you're two months out or three months out into the year. Now it's time to set a new goal. I would like to get to twice a day for 15 or 20 minutes, right? Or maybe you would like to take that once a day, 15 minutes to 30 minutes. You maybe like to take it once a day to 30 minutes, whatever it is, you increase that, right? And now you go through the same process of you build up slowly, gradually, and surely. And now you're maybe at the third, fourth, or fifth month of the year. And now you take the next step, whatever that is, taking that two sessions for 15 minutes a session and saying, okay, now I'm going to go to 30 minutes, right? And you gradually increment this. And each time you get to your goal, then give yourself a little bit of a reward, whether that's going to the movies or a chocolate bar, a bag of potato chips, even though these are things that you would easily do on your own regardless. It's just a nice little way to kind of acknowledge that you've made some progress here. And anytime you see any kind of negativity coming into the mind where the mind wants to be negative and dissuade you from what it is that you've been working towards, just cut that off and let it go and be like, no, I'm not going to allow the mind to go there. I'm not going to allow the mind to do that today. Even if you fall short of the goal, it's okay. Because if you have an expectation, if you want it, if you're craving it, if you're longing and yearning for it, then when you don't get to the goal at the end of the four weeks, the mind's going to be discontent. It's going to be sad or frustrated or irritated or something else like this. But if you have a true goal that is devoid of any expectations or wants or craving, this longing and yearning, if you have a true goal that's, hey, I'm working toward this goal, this is going to motivate me, it's going to encourage me, I'm going to work towards this, but I fully understand that because of impermanence, I may not get to that. And I'm not going to use that as a way to be lazy and be like, yeah, I can't get to my goal anyway, right? I'm not going to use it to be lazy and kind of complacent but I'm gonna not also crave this goal and expect it and want it and absolutely have to be there within a month or else I'm gonna be discontent. Instead, just know that you're working towards this goal of something like meditation and you just gradually work towards it, all the while knowing that it's possible that you may not get to that goal in the designated time that you've set. And that's okay. Always look at the progress. Because what the mind tends to look at is it looks at the shortcomings. And when you fall short, even though you used to do zero sessions and now you're doing three or four, the mind says, well, you didn't get to seven, right? The mind wants to look at that shortcomings. Instead, look at the positive. Well, hey, I'm doing three or four. That's better than zero. So always look at the positive side and then be encouraging and motivating and uplifting to get to that actual goal that you've set. And that's how you ensure that the mind doesn't go into this negativity is that you don't have craving, desire, attachment. You don't have these wants, these expectations, this longing and yearning beating yourself up when you fall short, potentially. Instead of looking at it as falling short, which would be the glass is half empty, instead, look at it as the glass is half full. Like, well, hey, at least I got to the three or four, right? That's actually better. Let me keep on going with this and let me see how far I can go with this. So that's what you would like to do is motivate the mind through that positive reinforcement, that encouragement, rather than thinking about all the negativity and all the negative things. There's this thing that I'm sure you guys have heard that if you, you know, kind of set the goal and you shoot for the moon, if you miss, at least you'll be among the stars, 
right? This is really helpful to think about like, hey, shoot for the moon. And if you miss, at least you'll be among the stars. When I was in business, I used to set goals that I actually knew that it was impossible for me to achieve. And it would just be really far-fetched if I would actually get this. I don't recommend this to people when they're first starting to set goals and stuff. But I got to the point where I was so accepting of missing goals that I would sometimes set goals that are really far-reaching. And if I got it, it was like, oh my goodness, this was an amazing accomplishment. But if I fell short, it's like, wow, if I even get 80% of this goal, that would actually be amazing if I got to 80% of this goal. So that's what I ultimately started doing when I was in business and stuff like that, that it would motivate me and encourage me to get to the actual goal. And there was occasions when we would actually get to that goal. But even if I got 80% of that, they would be wildly successful. So this is the concept of shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you'll still be among the stars. But I don't recommend that when you're first starting out, having these goals that are tangible and specific but yet obtainable. So you get in the process of experiencing setting goals, working towards them, attaining them, feeling some success, and then moving to the next part of your goal, setting that goal and now attaining it and feeling some success. And when you start feeling this success at setting goals, rather than setting goals that are 20 steps ahead of where you are now, maybe set goals that are five steps. And then when you get to that one, then set the next five steps and the next five steps. Sometimes what we do that sabotages our goal setting and our motivation is we set goals that are 20 steps ahead. Now you can do this, like I mentioned, like I used to do in the past, once you get used to setting goals and being comfortable with not attaining them and setting goals, like I mentioned, that even if you got 80% of that, you would be successful and feel very pleased with that. But initially, when you get going setting goals and you're trying to get out of this complacency and this lack of motivation, it's better to set kind of smaller goals that are tangible, that are specific, that you can measure them and see that you're actually attaining them. And then once you get to that, whether it's a couple of months or one month down the road, then set the next goal and move the measuring stuck out further rather than setting these big, far-reaching goals from the very beginning. So... I'll just pause here. I don't, like I mentioned, I don't have anything prepared to really share with you guys. We can talk about this topic of goals or anything else that you would like to talk about. You can put this into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or raise your hand in Zoom electronically, and we can discuss anything it is that you guys would like to discuss. Um, yes, sir. I see that Max has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Teacher David. Uh, in your uh like if someone were wanting to increase their meditation practice uh is it like for someone that maybe has limited time is it best for someone to increase like let's say they only had a half an hour a day um would it be best to let's say split that up into three meditations like 10 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes you know, morning, afternoon, and evening, or is it better for them to maybe have one session, let's say at night, that was like a half an hour? Getting in the habit of meditating and having the propensity to actually choose to do that on a regular basis is really helpful. 
And also the frequency is actually more helpful than the duration. So if I only had 30 minutes a day that I knew that I'd be able to meditate, I would probably split that up into two sessions for 15 minutes each, you know, kind of morning or evening or what have you. And then what you'll notice is once you have those anchor points, you'll tend to kind of create more and more space in your life that you can then expand those. So if it's three sessions that you would like to ultimately get to, and you would like to split it up into 10 minutes each time, go for it. You can do that. And in that situation, I probably wouldn't do the chanting because the chanting takes about two and a half minutes on the way in and the two and a half minutes on the way out. So that's five minutes right there. So you might just choose to do chanting on the way in or, or no chanting at all, right? There's times when I do that where I'll just do chanting on the way in and I won't do chanting on the way out. Or sometimes I just don't even do chanting at all, even at the beginning, maybe if Bailan's in here sleeping or if I have a headache or something like this, I, I may not chant at all. I might just go into meditation. So having that frequency is really important and making the choice that, yes, I am going to meditate now. And then when you have those anchor points, two or three per day, no matter what amount of time it is, even if it's five minutes, you'll have a tendency to open that up and provide yourself more and more time. And that's where you'll see that there's more and more progress to the mind that when you can get to two or three sessions for 30 minutes or more, that's where you'll see a significant amount of progress. But that's not to say that twice a day for 15 minutes a session isn't productive. That's wildly productive. I think I might have done something like that for like the first six months or a year or so as I was training the mind that I was working my way up to building to two or three per day for 30 minutes or more. So even if you can get five minutes here or there, go for it. You know, it's not like, ah, it's not 30 minutes. It's not going to be beneficial. Even if you can get five minutes, you know, go for it, take it. Sometimes I would start meditation thinking that it was going to be five minutes and I actually had more time and I just was able to keep on going with it. Then there were other times where I sit down and I think it's going to be 30 minutes and it was only five because I needed to go take my son to school or something like that. So this is the impermanence of your meditation practice. So setting your goals is important, but don't be fixed on them. But definitely, Max, frequency is, in my opinion, more beneficial than the actual duration. Okay, thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Yes, sir. And then on uh, YouTube, Thomas asks, Dear teacher, when I finish night shift, I used to be completely exhausted and have limited time for rest until the next shift. Do I need to be rested and fresh to meditate? Thank you, sir. Yeah, anytime you can meditate, go for it. You'll notice that when the mind is rested and it's more attentive, more alert, that it will get more benefit. But if you're kind of waiting for that before somebody meditates, sometimes you're kind of stuck because maybe you're working a lot. So even if you're tired or you're in between shifts, if you can set aside time to meditate, go for it. Take that time. It's kind of like if you're super hungry and there's food on the table, you'll take whatever food you can get. Or if you're a dry sponge, you'll soak up any amount of water that's on the table, right? So just go for whatever it is that you can go for. Because as you train the mind more and more and you get rid of more and more craving, desire, attachment, you'll find that you're less tired. So if the mind is waiting to be less tired before it will meditate, this isn't actually helpful because 
as you meditate and you awaken the mind more and more, there's less burden in the mind. There's less craving and desire and attachment. That's actually burdening the mind. So if you're noticing that you're tired and you would like to meditate, go for it. There's no harm in that. And what you'll notice is as you're doing that more and more readily, you'll reduce the burden because you're reducing the craving, desire, attachment in the mind. And as you're reducing that burden, you'll notice that there'll be less tiredness in the mind. But oftentimes when people first get started with their meditation practice, the first three to six months or so, or, or maybe longer, you can actually feel quite tired during meditation or afterwards because there's so much pollution in the mind and the mind is actually working in meditation. You know, people think meditation sometimes is easy that have never tried it before. They just see somebody sitting there with their legs crossed and with their eyes closed and breathing. And, you know, they think like, wow, it must just be so easy to just sit there. They think their people are asleep, right? But really inside the mind, there's a lot of work that's going on in there, observing the breath, observing the breath, observing the breath it goes off cut that off bring it back it's a very simple instruction for breathing mindfulness meditation but there's a lot going on in the mind and the mind's not used to this the mind's used to holding on to things and chasing after things so when the mind moves off the breath and you cut that off and let it go and bring it back this can be very tiring for the mind the first three to six months but this is normal so you kind of get over that hump eventually where you kind of have broken through enough of the pollution of mind that you'll feel more uplifting feeling after meditation it may take a year or so depending on how much pollution you have in your mind to feel that uplifting experience so initially you might feel like you're hitting a brick wall that there's even more tiredness that is occurring during the meditation and afterwards but that's just a temporary thing so if you do notice that don't worry about that just keep being dedicated to the practice three months six months a year you'll get over that hump and now you've done all that work to eliminate more and more pollution and now there'll be more uplifting in the mind the mind will be more tranquil thank you sir i see tony has his hand raised let's go ahead for his question please thank you miranda um teacher dave what are your thoughts on meditating before going to bed like laying down uh going to bed and meditating and then falling asleep I think it's excellent to meditate prior to sleep, but it's important that you do that before the mind gets tired. So if you normally notice that you tend to go to sleep around 10 p.m., for example, and you're looking for like a 30-minute meditation session before sleep, you probably would like to start that around 9, 9.15 or so, because once the mind's tired and then you choose to meditate, it can be a bit more challenging because the mind is interested to sleep, but now it's having to do this work. So I noticed this about myself that at one point I was waiting until I got tired and sleepy and then I would try to meditate. And it was only like a three minute, five minute meditation and then I was out. So what I started doing and to make sure I get a very good quality meditation is moving that forward where a good hour or 45 minutes before sleep, before I normally would go to sleep, I would start my meditation then. So I would get a good solid 30 minutes of meditation and then I could go to sleep. If you get in the habit of meditating and then allowing the mind to go to sleep, 
I don't necessarily recommend this as part of your standard practice. If you have your standard practice where you're meditating two or three times a day, it should be your beginning meditation, you're going through meditation, and then you're ending meditation, and then you're doing something, whether it's go to sleep or go to work or go get something to eat or whatever it is. If you get in the habit of starting meditation and then as you meditate, you gradually drift off to sleep, and this is one of your main meditations, then the mind gets used to essentially becoming complacent and dozing off in meditation. And what you'll end up finding is that you're training the mind to look at meditation as a way of dozing off and going to sleep. So even in times like in the morning or the middle of the day where you're trying to meditate and then you know, start your meditation, meditate, and then finish, the mind will tend to get sleepy during that time because it's used to kind of doing this at night where it starts meditation and then dozes off. So what you can do is you can still have your two or three meditations where you begin, then you train the mind, and then you end, and then you do something, whatever that is. And then when you get used to that, if you would like to use meditation to help you get to sleep, that's fine. You know, you can lay in bed and close the eyes and be breathing in through the nose and focusing on the breath. And then when something comes up to cut that off and let it go, and then you'll notice you can fall asleep more and more readily, more and more easily. But just don't make that one of your primary meditations where you still have your two or three per day. And then now because of the work you're doing in those two to three meditation sessions, now you can use that same technique to fall asleep more easily if you'd like to. It's just not a standard practice that you're choosing to do on a regular basis. Thank you, sir. To go back to Thomas's question, sort of, when we are doing that maybe evening meditation and we are tired, physically or mentally tired, and we use the different meditation positions to kind of wake the mind back up, keep yourself from falling asleep during this meditation, maybe switching from seated meditation to standing or walking, something like that, sir? Absolutely. That would be ideal if that's what you would like to do, is that if you're noticing that you are dozing off in meditation and you're not interested in allowing the mind to do that as part of your standard practice, then that's where the standing position and or the walking position comes into play. That you would like to extend your meditation and you would like to be sure you get some dedicated meditation. You use that standing or walking position to kind of uplift the mind and get it to be more attentive and alert during the meditation. And that's what the concern is, is that if you use meditation to fall asleep, and that's your standard meditation, that it will kind of get used to dozing off as part of your meditation. So you can use the standing or walking to uplift the mind, make it more attentive and alert. Make sure you get your two or three sessions. You're doing that regularly over the course of your days and weeks. And then the benefit is that having trained your mind that way, that yeah, if you lay down and you notice that the mind's a little bit active and maybe it could potentially be a little bit challenging to fall asleep, hey, start focusing on the breath and clear the mind as you're falling asleep. And now that's something that you do occasionally in order to help with sleep and get the mind to sleep. And that's because of the benefit of having trained the mind to two or three sessions previously. So that's what that standing and walking position is for in some respects is to 
uplift the mind and help it to ensure that it doesn't fall asleep. And that walking position is also good if you notice that the mind is overactive and there's too much energy in the mind. And the last thing you're thinking about is sitting down to meditate and being in one spot. If you notice that there's overactivity or anxiety in the mind, you can do walking meditation to get the body moving. And this will tend to kind of satisfy the mind a bit. And you're still getting your meditation in as well. Yes, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own practice, there are times where certain like muscles are sore and things like this. And I tend to use lying meditation to mm-hmm. kind of make the body more comfortable. Is this, I guess, not okay, but is this a wise thing to do, sir? Yes, this is ideal. This is one of the ways that I use lying meditation is if I notice there's back pain or neck pain, if there's any kind of pain in the body, I would lay down flat because when you're laying down flat on your back face up, all the muscles are completely unengaged. There's no activity of the muscles whatsoever. You can just lay there and completely relax the body entirely. This is where that one really comes into play. And it might not be your go-to position, particularly if you notice that you tend to fall asleep in that position. You may not use that as your go-to position that you use primarily, but it's there for you. If you're noticing back pain or shoulder pain or neck pain or any kind of pain like that, you might choose to use lying position as a way to completely relax all the muscles in the body and then still be able to get your meditation in. And this is where you can see the truth in this yourself that the more you interchange these different positions in these different situations, you'll be able to see what's working for you in any one given time. So that for me, like seated position is my go-to position. I would say at this point, I probably use that 99% of the time, but that wasn't always the case. There were times where maybe that was 60 or 70 or 80% of what I was doing and I was experiencing more pain in the body, so I was doing more lying meditation. Or there might have been other times where I was noticing more activity, more overactivity in the mind, so I was doing a lot more walking meditation. There was a few weeks where you know that's what I was doing primarily is a lot of walking meditation. But now at this point, I tend to use the seated position the most, but even now there's occasions where when I'm teaching at the temple, uh, particularly these classes that are five days long, and I'm getting ready to go into a teaching period where I'm going to be teaching for essentially 14 days straight and sitting so much, there can be a little bit of back pain. And sometimes when I'm guiding the students, I will just at the temple lay down and do lying position. So I still use it for that if I ever notice any pain coming up in the body. And this way, the body can be completely relaxed because if you feel pain, 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 and that's all that the mind is receiving, it's very challenging to train it to cut off thoughts and let go when all it's experiencing is this pain, 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 pain. So by using these positions in the various ways that you know what you're trying to go for. If you have mindfulness or awareness of mind, you see the mind is sleepy, you see the mind is overactive, you see the body is painful, whatever it is, then you just use whatever technique that you need in order to create what it is that you're looking to create. So if you see that the body is painful, okay, lying position. You see that the mind is overactive, okay, walking position. You see that the mind is sleepy and trying to fall asleep. Okay, standing or walking position. These are all 
the ways that I would encourage you to invoke these different positions as you need them. And then you're essentially cultivating whatever aspects of mind that the mind needs in any given situation. And then don't get tied to any one particular position. Where right now, if you know that your mind is unenlightened and you tend to do seated position all the time and that's everything that you've been doing, instead at this point, what I would suggest if you've been doing that consistently over a long-term period of time and you don't really use lying, standing, or walking, kind of challenge the mind and put the mind in those positions where the body is now either lying, standing, or walking and bring in this new ability that it's not just seated position that you have available to you, but get used to these other positions and invoking them and knowing when to invoke them and how to invoke them and see how they actually benefit your practice. Well, thank you, Sid. Mm-hmm. And then I know that Max said he has a question. Are you interested to ask that question now, Max? Yes, that would be great. I appreciate it. Uh, so yesterday, I, I guess I had a situation and I, that I would like uh, guidance on. Uh, so I purchased something used and couldn't uh, check it to see if it worked at the time. And I uh, took the per, took the guy's word for it and got home and realized that um, it was completely useless. And so, like, my mind has, like, a craving, desire, attachment for, like, people to be honest and, um, you know, people to not lie or people to be truthful. Um, and so I guess what is, I, I guess like uh, anger was like arising in the mind and I was having to try and cut that off. And um, I guess I don't, and maybe there's like a craving, you know, to not lose the money that I spent on this or whatnot. So I guess what's the practice on that? Yes. So the first thing I would do, Max, is always look internally and say, what did I do to contribute to this situation? And what can I do in the future to make wiser decisions to ensure that this doesn't happen? So the first thing that stands out to me is it sounds like you were going to check something out, but you didn't have the time to really thoroughly check it out at that time. So that's the first thing, is not having craving to just acquire this product, but if you're gonna go buy a used product, be sure you have space in your life and space in your day, that you have time to thoroughly check this out before you purchase it. That's the first thing, that if you would have been able to do that, then you would have known before leaving that situation that this product either works or don't. And that's a decision that you can make and that's fully within your capability to do. So be sure that if you're going to go do something or purchase something, particularly a major purchase with a significant price tag, you would like to be sure that this thing is working before you walk away. So be sure that you create space in your life before you go do something, rather than put the burden on the other person that they should be honest, which yes, everybody should be honest, but we know impermanence that not everybody is honest. So that's where we need to take responsibility for our own decisions and our own actions and be sure that if we're entering into a situation where we're going to be purchasing something, let's take our time. Even purchasing something brand new when you go into the store, you know, there's 
in America, there's typically, you know, three, four, five, ten different options. And you've got to make a wise decision about which product am I going to purchase here. And you might need to take your time to read the products, talk to the salespeople, make sure that it's a good, informed decision. So anytime you're purchasing something, understand that you worked hard for the income and the money to be able to purchase this and whatever product this is that you're purchasing whether it's for your home life or your children or your family or work it's going to need to be beneficial for you so there was all those hours put into work and acquire the income and now this product's going to be impactful for us and helpful in our home so let me take this 30 minutes or let me take this one hour or whatever it is to be sure that I'm making a wise decision about what product I choose to purchase. So that's the first thing is always look at what can I do to make this situation better? Did I look thoroughly enough on the internet and research this product? Did I look at this person's reviews? Did I give myself enough time to drive there and talk to this person and evaluate the product. Always look at your own actions because we can't control what other people do. All we can do is control our own decisions. So that would be one that I would suggest that you look at firstly. The second thing is, is that I don't know if you've done this yet or not. You didn't mention this, but there's no harm in you contacting this person to talk to them and say, you know, hey, I really apologize to need to contact you. It looks like the product that I purchased isn't working. Is this something that, you know, we can discuss and work out? You know, how do you feel about that or whatever it is, however you would like to talk to them. If you use right speech, perhaps they didn't realize that it wasn't working. Maybe the last time that they checked it, it was actually working. So if we have the perception that this person lied to us, and then there's a craving that people don't lie. Now, if you cling to this perception that they lied to you, that's where the anger can arise in the mind. So they might have checked it out three days before and it was working and they just haven't checked it since then. And maybe something happened to it in those three days and they were under the full impression that it's actually working. So I wouldn't cling to the perception that they've lied to you. I would instead go to them with you know, an open mind, assuming that they haven't lied to you. This is oftentimes the way that our mind gets conditioned is that we assume the negative, that we have this thought that, you know, this person has done something horrible and they're lying and they're this and they're that and they're that. Not that you thought that way, but oftentimes that's where our mind goes in the negativity. Instead, keep the mind uplifted and just consider that there's some misunderstanding somewhere, there's some impermanence somewhere. This person may have checked this and just didn't realize it. So now when you approach this person, whether it's by email or text or phone or what have you, that you're not doing it with the animosity that they've actually lied to you. Instead, you can let go of that perception because you don't necessarily know that they lied. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. But you know, if you don't know 100% sure, then you would like to let go of that perception and just work on truth. All you know is that you showed up to this house, you gave the money, you took the product, you got home and it wasn't working. So 
it could have got jostled around in the car and then it got broken on the way. We don't know, right? There's all kinds of impermanence in the world. But if you would like to reach out to this person and talk to them and see if you can come to some conclusion, you'll be much more successful in that if you don't have the anger in the mind. And if you feel like there's the potential of anger arising, for example, if you call them, and you feel like, oh, I might get angry in this situation and that wouldn't be wise for me, then it might be better if you do it by text or it might be better that you do it by email. This is what's wonderful about our methods of communication now, that if you're in the process of training your mind and you don't yet have control of the mind and you know that anger can arise, the last thing you'd like to do is show up to this guy's house and start talking to him about this situation because in that situation, your anger might get the better of you where you may not even decide to call him on the phone because there the anger can arise. And that's where we've got text messaging, we've got email, we've got other methods of communicating that now you can kind of put some distance between you and the situation, you and that person. And now you can maybe more readily think this through that you send a nice, polite, kind message, you see what they send back, and then you sit with that for a few hours or a few days and you think about it, whatever you need to do, if you feel the anger arising based on what they've sent back, you know that they're not causing the anger, it's something in your own mind. So allow that anger to dissipate. And then as you're cutting that off and letting it go, whether it's a few hours or a few days, take whatever time you need and now send a nice you know, worded message or email back if you need to, so that you're having this conversation without any anger arising or any frustration or irritation or anything like that. So you can use the different methods of communication that we have to create some distance and be sure that you have that time to control the mind. Because if we have a phone call or we show up at a person's house, whatever they say, if the anger arises and you can't control the mind, you might say or do something that you regret. Whereas if you have the text messaging or emails in place, even if the message comes and you get angry or you get frustrated, you can go walk that off or you can go do something else until the anger dissipates. You don't have to reply right away. And this is one of the beauties of using these different modes of communication. Thank you, sir. Uh, after uh, I bought it or whatever, he, I'm sorry, my my kids are going to be yelling at me. It's okay. Um, I don't. I don't uh, have the expectation that they'll be quiet. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'll have to help them. I'll, I'll have to maybe respond privately or something. Okay. If, if they're if you're okay, Max, talking with them in the background, we're okay with it. It's not bothering any of us. But if you need to attend to them, you know, obviously, I think I think that's what it is. He needs to attend to them. <laughs> That's uh, Tony has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question. Okay. Thank you, Miranda. Uh, teacher David, I've been noticing that 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 uh, I get really uh, just uh, discontent when when things change on me. Like I sort of plan something out. I'm planning the day, and this and this and this and this, and then something comes along and throws throws a wrench into my plans, and I, 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 I it seems to send me send me off uh, in a world. Of discontentedness. Well, when I've noticed that been happening, I'm having great days, and, and something changes, and then the, then the things things really throw me off. So I'm just wondering, what can I do to uh, to try to 
to stop this uh, this uh, situation of something changed and I get get uh, have, have, uh, make it turns my day upside down. Okay, perfect. So Tony, you already know that that's the whole problem with the unalighted mind is it craves permanence. Another way to say that is it doesn't like impermanence. So it doesn't like this change. So what's probably happening is you're waking up in the morning and you've got five things or 10 things and you're like, I want to get all these things done. You know, I expect to get all these things done. This is my to-do list and I'm not going to feel accomplished unless I get these things done. This is my day. This is what I want to get done. And this is the mind setting itself up to fail. It's kind of sad sabotaging itself. So that's what a goal would look like where there's craving, desire, attachment involved, where it's like, hey, I don't feel accomplished if I don't get my 10 things done. Or, you know, this is what I want to get done today. Instead, what you do is you wake up in the morning, you're like, all right, well, my goal, you know, what I would like to get done, what I would prefer to get done, what I have an interest to accomplish today is these 10 things. But tell yourself, it's not necessarily going to happen. I might only get one of those things done. I may get two of those things. I may get four of those things. I might not get any of those things because you might be having this conversation and this goal setting in the morning of the things you're going to do today. And then right after you're done with that, you might get a phone call that something's wrong with your car or something's wrong with a family member. And you might end up, you know, at a hospital or at an auto mechanic shop, or you might be on your way to accomplishing your first to-do item today and you have a blowout of your tire. This is all impermanence. So when you're doing that to-do list in the morning of the things that you would like to accomplish in a certain day, there's no harm in setting out things that you would like to accomplish in a given day. But just tell yourself before you walk away from that moment that I may or may not get these things done. This is my objective. This is my goal. I'm going to set out to accomplish these 10 things today. But more likely than not, I'm not going to be able to accomplish all 10 of them. If we set these 10 things for ourselves, and we absolutely have to accomplish these, this is where we get in the car, we run from place to place to place, you know, the bank, the pharmacy, the this, the that, the doctor, and we just zoom, 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 and then we get to the end of that, we're like, ah, I feel great, you know, I got everything accomplished. But in the process, boy, we were zooming around town, just, you know, at a breakneck speed, not really enjoying the present moment, just because we're craving to get this list of things done. So instead, you set up the goal for yourself like, hey, these are the 10 things that I kind of like to focus on today. And if I don't get any of them done, then I'll move those to tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So you might just get two done and that's fine. That doesn't mean you're a failure. That doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It just means that you're in the present moment. You're handling that first one and you handled it really well. And while you were handling that first one, hey, you bumped into somebody, you met a new friend, you decided instead of doing those other eight things, I'm going to go over here and have a conversation with this person and meet a new person. This is like living in the present moment that what we tend to do is in the morning, you have this to-do list of everything you would like to accomplish today as if you're going to know 
the future for the rest of your day. But you didn't know that you were going to bump into a brand new person that you would like to sit down and talk with today. So by letting go and not clinging to this to-do list, it leaves you open to be able to experience any number of new things along your journey. So rather than think about your goal is to get to the end of this list, and that's where I'll feel accomplished. Instead, set up in the mind that your goal is to enjoy each individual moment, enjoy the journey, and whatever happens along the way, you'll just be completely content with that, and you fully know that you might only get one, two, or three of these things done today. And that's okay, and get used to accepting that as that's the normal way that things are going to happen in your life. You're not going to be able to set 10 to-do items every single day and every single day get all 10 of those done. That would be permanence. That's what the mind wants, but you've got to train the mind that it, that's not what it's going to get. So there's no harm in having these to-do items and setting that up early in the morning before your day, but then just fully understand that it's most likely not going to happen the way that you've envisioned it at 8 a.m. in the morning or 10 a.m. in the morning. It's very rare that we envision our day at 8 a.m. and it goes exactly the way that we intended. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. So don't even let the mind cling or hold on to that. As soon as you see the mind doing that, just be like, nope, it's not going to happen that way. <laughs> Wonderful, sir. Thank you. Um, I see that Max has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his questions. Thank you. Uh, so back to the situation. <laughs> um, uh, so the guy that I bought this item from ended up blocking me after I purchased it. So I, I assume he knew that it wasn't bad and he didn't want me to contact him after I purchased it. Uh, but I ended up finding like his girlfriend's like his, his girlfriend's account and messaged her and just said, Hey, your boyfriend sold me a, you know, an air compressor is what I bought an air compressor and it doesn't work. I don't know if I could get my 40 bucks back. Um, and I don't have an expectation of getting my money back or I don't ex have an expectation of them replying or whatever. And, um, so I just kind of left it at that. And, I mean, I, I do have, like, he did give me his <clears throat> address and that was probably a mistake. I could only assume, but I, you know, someone that has, you know, I, from, I, I guess I, I don't want to assume that, <clears throat> you know, whatever he blocked me or whatever, but, um, you know, show just showing up at someone's doorstep and maybe that's putting myself in a situation that um, you know, even if I were to, you know, if I maintain my calmness, maybe just showing up on his doorstep is, um, would create an environment that would be potentially dangerous or whatnot mm -hmm. is the one thing I thought of. Um, and then kind of the next part of this question is, you know, I, I, basically chalked it up as, okay, well, it was just 40 bucks, not a big deal. You know, my thought was, oh, maybe he needs it more than me or type of idea. I don't know if that's a wrong view or um, not, not, not really a donation, but maybe like a, 
even a gift is probably the bad word or whatever, just um, telling myself that he needs it more than me or something and just kind of shrugging my shoulders and walking away. I don't know if that's uh, the right way of uh, thinking about it. Yeah, so that's great that you're looking for ways to think about it other than I lost my money or he stole my money or something like that. But he needs it more than me. This is the the ego, right? This is the conceit, right? What you might decide to do is be like, you know what? This was a $40 lesson to learn that when I go to purchase something, I need to take my time. I need to investigate this. I need to evaluate products that I'm purchasing. That this is an investment in your training and it was a lesson learned and you essentially paid for this lesson. Thank you, teacher, who whatever his name is. Little T, I call these people little T's. Not the big T that you're learning with a teacher that you perhaps respect and that you have this gratitude towards who's willing to spend a lot of time, effort, energy, and resources to help you. That might be the big T's in your life. Your dad, I know your relationship with your dad, he's probably a big T in your life. He's one of the original teachers in your life, right? Where this person, maybe he's a little T, right? Where you paid him $40. Okay, you learned this lesson. Hey, he got me. All right, well, I've learned my lesson and, and I'll move on. Rather than the he needs it more than me. This is the ego. Instead, focus it on, okay, this was a lesson for me to learn and I needed to pay $40 in order to learn that. Luckily, it wasn't $400. And uh, this was a, a very valuable lesson for me because now all the way into the future, you aren't going to make this same mistake again. I have a feeling that you're going to be sure that anytime you buy something used that you're going to make sure that you evaluate it really thoroughly. And then that still doesn't mean that you can't follow up with him. I, I agree with you that showing up to somebody's doorstep who now that we know that he's blocked you. Yeah, this looks pretty much like he knew what was going on. Just showing up to his doorstep like, hey, where's my money? Why'd you do this kind of thing? This could be problematic. So I agree with you on there that that's probably not wise, even though you have his address. So I would chalk it up to a lesson learned. Doesn't mean you can't still try to pursue this, but ultimately if you get to the end of this and you're not getting your $40 back, then I would chalk it up to a lesson learned and you paid this guy to teach you this lesson essentially. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your comments. You're welcome. Yes, sir. On uh, YouTube, Thomas asks, Dear teacher, how can I be sure that after the course or training, which is starting the beginning of this month, can be everything works in my life? Okay, so going through the seven-month group learning program doesn't mean that you're going to have your life completely sorted out within that seven months, right? A lot of people are taking that program more than one time. You know, they study that two, three, four, five times. I've taught it five times now. I think this is the sixth time that I'm teaching it. And there's actually students who've taken it all five times and they may even be planning to take it the sixth time as well. So you shouldn't have the expectation that you're going to have everything sorted out in seven months. That's not how this works. Instead, you should think about it as, okay, I'm going through this learning experience. I'm setting the goal to attend maybe 80 or 90% of these classes and the ones that I miss, I'm going to watch on the replay. 
All right, that's an attainable goal, right? And then that as you're learning, you're going to gradually implement the teachings that you're reading in the book and that you're learning in the classes. You're going to gradually implement those as you can and as you need personal guidance, you'll get that guidance in all the different ways that you know about to get that guidance. But then realize that you're going to probably learn about 10 or 20 percent of what you actually need to learn in that one first go through of the group learning program. There's actually research that shows whenever you go through a new learning experience, you only truly gather about 10 or 20 percent of what's truly being offered in that learning environment. And then when you go through the second time, you get like 40 or 60% of what's being offered in that learning environment. And you go through a third time, you're getting like 80 or 90%. So don't put the pressure on yourself or the expectation that you're gonna have everything sorted out in your life in those seven months. But instead, look at it as a lifelong journey. And this is the first seven months of that journey where you're going to gradually learn. And you're going to learn what you can, but you realize you're not going to learn at all. There's nobody that has ever gone through the group learning program. And in seven months, they learned everything. It's just not possible. There's too much details in that program that you would be able to absorb every last little bit of nugget. And then you'll see that if you repeat that program more than one time, Different students will have different questions at different times. So we'll be talking about different things. Even though it's the same chapter, it's the same topic, there'll be different questions and different ways of explaining it each time you go through that program. So just dedicate yourself to this rest of your life. You're gonna to continue to work on this inner improvement, working on training the mind and learning these teachings, and you're going to enjoy the journey as you go through this without the pressure of you've got to make significant changes today. Instead, just gradually build up to it. As you are learning, and I start out on Sunday, this Sunday coming up a week from today, you'll see how I'm going to set up the framework of the course and explain everything to you about the program and so forth and so on. And then the following Sunday after that, so two weeks from now, is where I'm actually going to start delivering teachings and sharing teachings about the Buddhist teachings. The first class is going to be kind of setting up the framework and the structure, giving you some content to get started. But the real beginning is going to be the two weeks from now but it's important to attend that first class because that's where you're going to get kind of the best practices of how to be successful in this type of program but just know and set the goal in your mind that yeah i'm not going to be able to learn everything david has to share but i'm going to learn whatever i can learn gradually absorb that and then realize that i'm going to need to repeat this more than one time if i'm going to truly absorb it and apply it to my life and just look at it as a lifelong journey. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. And um, it does not appear that there are any other questions at this time. Okay. Well, I definitely suggest that all of you, whether you're listening to this live or you're listening on the replay, is that you consider setting goals for yourself for the new year. I don't call them New Year's resolutions or anything like that. I think there's this tendency to kind of set goals. And then within a month or two, you know, they kind of fade away. Instead, look at this as a lifelong journey that you're going to continually be needing to set goals all throughout your life, not just at New Year's. New Year's is great. That's a great time to kind of focus the mind and be able to really focus in on the areas of your life that you'd like to improve. 
but you're probably going to need to set goals in February. You're probably going to need to set goals in March and April. You might need to set goals in September and October. You're going to need to revise your goals because you're going to be hitting some of those goals. You're going to be accomplishing some of those goals and you're not interested in waiting a whole nother year just to set goals. But New Year's is, tends to be a time where people look at their life and say, well, what can I do to make this better and improve it? And you can set two, three, four goals for yourself. Uh, you don't have to set 20 goals, right? That can be too many. Just, you know, maybe two, three, four goals. Maybe your goal is you're going to build your meditation practice. Maybe your goal is I'm going to attend the group learning program. Or maybe your goal is I'm going to attend the Holly Cannon and English study group. I would like to be a moderator and help out moderating or any number of things. Maybe you'd like to look at your financial area. Maybe you'd like to look at your relationships with your life partners or your parents or your siblings or your children. Maybe you have some goals to improve my relationship with my child right? Rather than like, okay, I will spend, you know, three days a week with my child, rather than making it really constraining like that, maybe your goal is, hey, I would like to improve relationships with my child and with my life partner. Hey, that allows you to now understand, well, how am I going to accomplish that? Well, I'm going to need to spend some time. Maybe I need to take them out to some restaurants occasionally. Maybe I need to bring them a gift occasionally, something small, just a little flower, a little chocolate bar, something like that. Maybe practice some generosity with my family, my life partner, my children. Maybe I need to spend some time at home playing some board games or putting together some puzzles or watching TV together or just talking about things, right? You know, doing different things like this. Look at your work and your finances, look at your home life, but be sure you really prioritize this area of building up your wisdom about the path to enlightenment, your meditation, attending the classes in the group learning program and or the Polycanon in English study group. This should be your number one priority because if your mind is functioning well, then your finances, your home life, your relationships, all of these other things will tend to go better and better you're not gonna be able to focus on all these other goals that you might set for yourself if you're not taking care of your own mind, right? So just like we need to clean our body and brush our teeth every day, we need to also clean our mind every day. So it's important that you prioritize reading the book and coming to classes and doing meditations and things like this. And it doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to do that full out. You might need to, you know, just spend 10, 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day just doing a little bit of reading and then a little bit of meditation and then gradually increment meditation more and more. But I don't suggest sitting down and reading like a, an hour or two hours or three hours a day. This is too much for the mind to take on. I still read the Pali Canon actually, and I tend to read even to this day, just 15, 20 minutes. If I read 30 minutes, that's like a lot. For me to read at one time. I tend to not even do that. I just still read 15-20 minutes a day. That's what I did as I was learning the Pali Canon. There would be times where my mind wanted to read for an hour or two or three and I would have to restrain the mind. Or there were times when I sat down thinking I was going to read for 30 minutes even and I would read like the first four or five paragraphs and be like, whoa, that's deep. I got to think about that. And I was only reading for like three minutes or five minutes and I would push away and I would sit with that for a few days before I went back to reading. So 
understand that you can have these goals and these objectives and these things that you would like to do, but then don't stay tied to that. You got to be in the present moment. So when I would sit down with a goal to read and I was planning to read for 30 minutes and then that was my goal. And now when I started reading, whoa, in the present moment, I just read something that this mind is going to need to think about. And I was only reading for three minutes. Hey, it's okay. I'm going to let go of that idea of reading for 20 or 30 minutes. I'm going to let that go because I need to sit with this. I didn't realize I was going to be interacting with this deep level teaching that I just read in the Pali Canon. And rather than stay tied and push through that and stay tied to that 30 minute goal, I'm going to just sit with this three minutes of reading that I just did. That was really impactful. I need to think about that for a while. So that's the way you would like to manage your life is always reside in the present moment that when you're waking up in the morning, you might set out for certain goals for that day, but then just stay in the present moment. And what do I need to be doing in this present moment to improve your work or your finances or your home life, your relationships? And of course, always prioritizing your development of your own mind, because as you're prioritizing that, all the other stuff will be made so much easier. And oftentimes when we get busy, we tend to let go of coming to class, or we tend to let go of the meditation, or we tend to let go of those things that are actually helping us to do really well in life. So we tend to eliminate those. And now we get to this experience where things start to crumble in our life. Or the other situation that happens is things can be going and being a bit challenged in our life, a bit stressful and a lot of anxiety. Then we can get up and running with going to these classes and meditating and things can be going fairly well. And then we kind of stop doing those things. And then our life starts to get stressful and problems in our life again. We're like, why is everything falling apart? Oh, you stopped meditating. You stopped going to classes. You stopped doing the things that were actually working. It's kind of like if you had an injury and you were injured and now you're taking a medication and now you're taking that medication for a while and you're like, whoa, I feel great. I don't need to take this medication anymore. So then you stop taking the medication and then you start feeling all this pain again. Well, why did that happen? Well, because the mind got complacent when it was feeling so great and then it stopped doing the things that was actually helping it to feel good and and recover from whatever it was experiencing. So if you've had a lot of stress and anxiety and problems in your life and you start practicing these teachings and you're coming to classes and you're meditating and things are going really well, the tendency is the mind can become complacent in that and then back away from that. And now things start crumbling again. So in order to get to enlightenment and break through and move to this higher consciousness, as you're coming up out of that darkness and the stress and anxiety starts to dissipate and you're meditating and you're coming to classes and you're reading and stuff like that, in order to keep that progress going and really get to that higher consciousness, you need to stay dedicated and diligent and determined to continue to go forward. So your enlightenment and your progress in life isn't going to be determined if you miss meditation today or if you fall short of that goal today. It's like, okay, well, I didn't meditate today. What do I do next? Do I just completely stop meditating for the next week or two or three or four? Or now that I missed meditation today, let me do two or three tomorrow and make sure I definitely get my meditation in. So stay dedicated to the goal for a consistent long-term period is what's going to determine your progress in life. If you meditate two or three times 
a day for the next month, okay, that's great. But you need to do that for a few years so that you can actually get to enlightenment. Your enlightenment is not going to be determined based on what you do in just one month or two months or even three months or seven months, like the seven-month program. It's going to be determined that over the course of two, three, four, five years, can you stay dedicated enough to gradually reading, gradually coming to classes, gradually building up your meditation practice, gradually seeking guidance and getting help. That's what you would like to work towards as you're progressing in life is gradually increasing the dials on this dashboard of life, gradually increasing them little by little by little and incrementing to getting to the point where you're now doing more and more. And you're able to do that without craving desire attachment but from the middle way where you're setting goals, you're working towards those. And if you fall short, you understand that's okay. You'll just keep moving forward and get to your goal in whatever time you need to get to it. Whether that's getting to enlightenment, maybe in your mind, you think like, okay, in eight months, I should be to enlightenment. No, that's not the way it works. Or, you know, in one year, I should be to enlightenment. No, that's not the way it works. It's gradual training, gradual progress and You'll experience that gradual improvement as you go. So setting goals but not being tied or fixed to them is what's going to help propel you as you continue to stay dedicated and determined over a long-term consistent period of time. So this Wednesday, we're going to be doing meditation together like we do on our normal Wednesday. And then on Sunday, we're going to be restarting the group learning program from the very beginning. I'm going to be sharing with you guys all the different aspects of the program and how to actually get started and how to get the most benefit out of the entire program. And then, of course, on Saturdays, we're doing the Polycanon and English Study Group. You guys are always welcome to join that. We're in volume 13, which is the very last book of the book series, and we're going to be restarting that on January 28th. So have a very lovely, wonderful, and amazing new year. Thank you all for everything you do to support the community. Thank you all for everything you do to build up your own practice and developing your life practice. I'll see you in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.